Thank you. It's a great honor for me to be here. How many of you, I've met you before. Can I just see a show? And you still came back. I thank you for that. <laughs> and how many of you have not met me before? Well, it's, it's an honor. It's always a joy to meet new friends. Pastor Aaron and his wife on sabbatical. That may seem a strange concept to you, but honestly, if you can pastor and, and if I can speak from that, it's a good thing. You'll have a, a better pastor when he comes back. And uh, it, it's a good thing, very, very much so. And it's an honor to be here with you. I think a lot of your pastor and his family, the leadership here, and you as a beautiful people. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Haggai, chapter 1 and um, verse 14. It'll be on the screen as well. We're going to be reading out of the New King James translation and I hope that this will be a blessing to you. And the scripture reads, So the Lord stirred up the Spirit. Can all of you say, stirred up the Spirit? He stirred up the Spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel. Now how many of you can be honest for a moment, and when you read things like Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, your eye bounces down till you find a real verse of Scripture uh, in your mind. How many of you do that sometimes? But all those verses are really pertinent. Zerubbabel was a descendant of the King Josiah. He would have been next in line to be king. This is the Persian period, and the Persians did not allow them to have the title of king, but rather governor. But it's amazing God, in spite of that, recognized him as a king. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all. Can everyone say all, the remnant or the people? So he stirred those who were in the political leaders, those who were the priestly leaders, and he stirred the people as well. And if you're one of those marvelous folks who like to take notes, I've just entitled this for my benefit, Stirring Up the Spirit. How many of you know that God in a moment of time can do more than we can do in years for someone? And God can speak individually a sermon. It may seem as if there's one sermon delivered here. Not really. For me it may be. But His Spirit activates your mind and life in a unique fashion. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just step back symbolically of you stepping in front of every lady in this room, every gentleman in this room. Even though my voice is but a frail piece of dust, may your mighty voice and spirit activate your scriptures to their mind and heart and tailor make this message just for them. And everyone said, Amen. It's interesting that God needed to stir them up. We all need to be stirred. It's interesting that Paul the Apostle writes to Timothy, who was a pastor, telling him, stir up the gift that is in you through the laying on of hands. Why does God encourage you to be stirred up, or myself to be stirred up? Because an object at rest tends to do what? Remain at rest. That's a law of physics that we know is true. And so Cyrus, who had conquered the, Pers uh, conquered the Babylonians 
and installed the Persian Empire had allowed the Jews to return and rebuild the temple, and they had started on the temple. We not only know this biblically, but if you ever visit Great Britain and go to the British Museum, you can find what is called the Cyrus Cylinder. And in there is the decree that allowed the Jews and many others to return back to their homeland and rebuild their temples. And so they had started. Unfortunately, Cyrus died. And his son Smyrtus became the king. And his son Cambyses did not want Smyrtus to be the king. He wanted to be the king. So he murdered his own brother. And for a period of time, there was a gentleman who looked exactly like Smyrtus. This was long before electricity and cameras and internet. And, and this pseudo-Smyrtus says, I am Smyrtus. And so for a while, they had two kings and Cambyses eventually triumphed. And Cambyses was a ruthless gentleman. On one occasion, he had told his uh, judges, do not take bribes. If you do, I'm going to punish you. A gentleman took a bribe anyway. So he had the gentleman flayed alive. I don't know if you know what flaying someone alive is. Forgive me for this, but it means to uh, skin them, take the skin off their body. You don't survive that. I can, I can assure you that. I, I have a top 10 list of ways I do not want to die. Flaying is number two. Number one is I don't want to be eaten by anything, not a shark, not fire ants, not my mad Latina wife, uh, nothing like that. Not Jeffrey Dahmer's cousins coming back, you know, or anything like that. And so he had the skin made into leather, reupholstered the bench, brought the current judges along with his son, and had them take a time putting their derriere on that leather. How many of you know that stopped all bribe-taking by the judges? And so Cambyses had a desire to conquer Egypt. Indeed, he did conquer Egypt. It's a long way from Persia. So he had to stop in the northern part of Israel near the Samaritans. And the Samaritans helped him, but they said in exchange, we want you to stop the Jews from building the temple in Jerusalem. He said, okay, stop. And when Cambyses told you to quit doing something, he meant it. And so the Jews had stopped, and the object at rest had come to rest for about two decades, about 20 years. And an object at rest, again, what happens when it happens at rest? It tends to do what? Remain at rest. And they went about their lives building their own homes and their own priorities and so forth. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Haggai, and the Spirit of the Lord says, it is time to be, build the temple. And the people said, it's not time. Well, it's never time. That's the reality. It's never a good time to start getting in shape. It's never a good time to get your house in order. It's never going to be a good time. Your flesh will always say it's not a good time. But the reality was the Spirit of God says it was. And the Spirit of God came upon the political process, upon the priestly process, upon embassies died. And Darius had become the king. And most of us, you may not know Darius, but you're familiar with the Olympic event called the Marathon, 26.2 miles. How many of you have ever heard of that event? I've run a few of them when my brain used to be brain damaged. And 
That event occurred under Darius' leadership. He tried to conquer Europe, and he lost at the Battle of Marathon. Then his son is Xerxes, who will marry Queen Esther, just to give you that kind of uh, framework for there. And so when they started rebuilding the temple, the Samaritans once again appealed to the Persian king, this time Darius, and said, we want you to stop the Jews from rebuilding the temple. And Darius sought the records, and he found that Cyrus cylinder, and he read that Cyrus had allowed the Jews to return. And he said, Cyrus allowed them to return, and I'm going to allow them to return. How many of you have ever taught little children sometime in your lifetime? Let me see a show of hands. How many of you know there's always a little tattletale in the class, and they drive you crazy telling on Johnny or Sarah? Have you ever had that experience? And so that Darius would put a stop to the Samaritans, he said, I'm going to put a tax on you, and I'm going to use that tax and give it to the Jews so they can finish their temple. How many of you know that put a stop to the Samaritans complaining about the temple? And so this gives you just a little bit of framework, and in that time period, they started. I have a a fitness watch sometimes I wear, and if I sit too long at the computer or reading or whatever, it'll come on and say, get moving. And I get up and get moving. I'll walk outside and just walk a little bit, and it'll say, good job. Well, sometimes I think we need a spiritual fitness thing that says, stir your spirit. Get moving. Make your life count. Life is short. Live it to the fullest. Give God your best. Can you say amen to that? And I want to give you three simple principles from the book of Haggai. It's only two chapters of how to stir your spirit. Number one, he encourages them to look up. As they looked up, they didn't just see something, they saw someone. They heard a message, and that message was clear, precise, and repeated. Be strong, be strong, be strong, be strong. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the first Feast of Tabernacle, Moses' message was, be strong. Here at the Feast of Tabernacle, the prophet Haggai, be strong. Here they were at the second dedication of the temple. At the first dedication of the temple, Solomon said, be strong. And here the message at the second temple was, be strong. And that was repeated over and over. My little grandson just turned three, but when he was two... He, well, he likes to go across the name at my house. There's a little boy his size and age and named Lucas, and they're, they're like best friends. And so he'll say, Papa, take me to Lucas. And so we go there, and Lucas has these dogs that are about the same height as Lucas and Judah. And they're friendly dogs, but they bark, and, they, you know, it, it would be the equivalent of me having two six-foot dogs come at me. And so Judah is there, and he is shaking. I can just see him shaking. And he grabs my hand. He says, Papa, I scared. I scared, Papa. And then I said, be strong, Judah, be strong. 
And his father's gotten in the habit of doing that to him. And his father will work him up into a frenzy till he'll get him repeating it almost like a football chant. Be strong, be strong, be strong. And that's what he began to do. And the door opened, the two dogs were there, and Judah just went, pushed him right out of the way and walked right on in. <laughs> well, sometimes we have to hear it over and over and over again because so much sensory thing hits us financially, physically, sociologically that are fearful in nature, but God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. That's your inheritance as his daughter and as his son. Somebody ought to say amen that, on that point there. When we look up, we look up to a creator who is extravagant in his genius. If you want to be blessed this afternoon, get on YouTube and type in a video of the complexity of the simplest cell that the scientists know about. It may astound you that it is many times, everybody say many times, many times more complex than an elite automobile. If you think of the German engineering or the top American engineering or the Japanese, etc., it would exceed any automobile that you know. The simplest cell that has ever been found. And yet inside of your body are cells countless times more complex than that. We don't have hundreds of them. We don't have thousands of them or ten thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of them or billions of them. We have trillions, everybody say trillions of them inside each one of us. And that complexity somehow works together. We serve a unbelievable God. It, it is only clear that we should look up to Him and see what He can do. Can you say amen? Back in 1998, I was privileged to go in India, and I saw miracles like I really had not seen prior to then or, or since then quite to that degree. And on the first night of the crusade, we had a small group of people probably this side of the room maybe or uh, maybe at the most this side here, they were, it wasn't a big group, and Rajan had told us we would have thousands. So eventually we did have thousands, but when we got here, we only had just a few. And I said, Rajan, you're better than David Copperfield. You can make thousands disappear. And so he took it pretty good. But he preached that, that night, and they all, he had every one of them come forward. No one laid hands on these people. I didn't know what was going on. It was in the Tamil language. And he just prayed if any of them were sick, that God would do a miracle. Little did we know there was a gentleman there who'd been there about 10 hours, I believe, if my memory's right. His little nine-year-old girl, they were Hindu people. They knew nothing about Christianity except that he had heard of Jesus, that Jesus loved people, and Jesus did miracles. Now, for us, that may not seem like a big deal, but in the Hindu pantheon system, the Hindu gods do not love people. That's, that's a concept that is foreign to them. And the Hindu gods do not do miracles. And so his little girl was nine years old. She was born deaf, completely deaf, born completely mute. She had never heard, had never spoken a day in her life. And they sat in this field waiting for us to come for hours. And in that little setting, with no hands laid on her, 
that little girl received the ability to hear and the ability to speak. The miracle was so confirmed that the village she lived in had about 200 people. Virtually the entire village came the next night because they knew truly a miracle had occurred among them. And we saw things like that every night that grew till we literally by the fourth night had thousands of people coming. How many of you know that when you look up to God, you're looking up to someone who is a creator and someone who can do above and beyond anything that we can imagine, think, or has even entered into our imagination? A second thing is not only looking up, but the prophet encourages them to look within. There were areas that they needed to adjust. It's a part of Haggai, you might be confused. What's going on? He talks about that which is clean and unclean. He's referring back to the Levitical system. And there was God asking them in the mirror of the word, look at your reflection of how you're living and change and adjust things. It is difficult for us as humans to admit we're wrong. It's just difficult, 100% of us. And we inherited that from our great-great ancestors, Adam and Eve. When they messed up the first time, what did they do? The woman you gave me, gave me this. Well, the serpent, he did this. When really, they blew it, right? And we have that now in the taproot of our life. And it shows up in a myriad of ways. In Florida, last year, here's a world-class illustration of it. Officers pulled over a lady, searched her automobile. I don't know what the details were, but they found drugs, they found marijuana, and they found cocaine. Now, this was April 2018. She admitted, now, the marijuana is mine. The cocaine, though, it's in my purse. I I don't have that cocaine in my purse. The window was rolled down, and the cocaine just blew into the car and blew into my purse. Well, what a whopper, right? I mean, if you're going to lie, just come up with a better one than that one, okay? Wouldn't it be better if you're going to stand in front of a judge, say, Your Honor, I had drugs in my car. I'm a drug addict. I'm addicted to cocaine. I need help. I'm not going to lie to you. Everybody lies to you all the time. How many of you think you'd find a little more compassion if we were a good bit more honest? He who confesses his sin and forsakes his sin, the Bible says, will find compassion. Not only with God, with each other. Can you say amen to that? Kevin Costner, when he first became an actor, and he became very, very successful. Young, good-looking gentleman. And there was a writer that he liked whose name was Michael. And Michael was gifted beyond measure at writing movie scripts, but he was stubborn, he was difficult, you couldn't tell him anything, you couldn't correct him, and he just rubbed people the wrong way. And so director after director, producer after producer, actor after actor kept telling the same narrative. Kevin became so aggravated with Michael, he said, look, I'm not going to recommend you anymore. Don't ever contact me anymore. And he cut Michael off completely. Well, a number of months went by, and Michael contacted Kevin, begged him to look at a script he had learned and made some adjustments in his life 
from what everyone was saying consistently about himself. And Kevin took his time about it, eventually looked at it, and it was awesome work, so much so Kevin Costner bought the script and produced this movie, and you know it as the epic film Dances with Wolves. Now here's the point I would like to make with that. Here was epic quality and film that would never have been produced had a gentleman not looked in the mirror of life and listened to what others were consistently saying and adapting his abilities and his talents. I wonder how much epic things God wants to do in your life and my life, our marriage, the raising of our children, our finances, our work, our community, simply because we are stuck as the way we are. How many times have you heard people say, that's just the way I am? Have you ever heard somebody say that? Have you ever said it? That's just the way I am, let's be honest. I've got a word from God for you. God does not want any of us to stay the way we am. (laughs) Terrible grammar, but excellent theology. God wants us to be changed from glory to glory, ever-increasing, ever-refinement, ever-wiser, ever-more-productive, ever-moving-forward. Can you say amen? We have to look up to Him, but sometimes we have to look on a daily basis and look within. Here's the final one, looking ahead. Where we are now is not where God wants us to be. The past is very important. The present is very important. Equally, though, what we see for the future is very important as well. It dominates and becomes a magnet that draws us to its fulfillment. How many of you have ever played the game of golf? Let me see a show of hands over here. I don't know if you like it or are you frustrated, but I enjoy it occasionally. I don't play it that much, but I have a friend of mine. He's a little better golfer than me. But one thing we know about golf and other sports is right before they enact the swing, what they see in their mind is very important. For instance, if you're looking at the water, that dominates your thinking. If you're looking at the flag or the green, that's what dominates your thinking. And so my friend George, when we're playing, and maybe there's almost a semi-island out there and a lot of water, uh, just before he'll swing, I said, now, George, don't, don't worry about that water. Don't, don't let that bother you. Don't, don't worry about the water. And he, so help me God, he'll get that on his mind, and he'll, the ball will go right where? to the water. And I feel so terrible about that. But we know that God put your eyes in front of your face because He wants you looking forward in your life. He has put your spiritual eyes forward so that you can see and clearly define what you want to accomplish by His grace and let it become a magnet that dominates your activity to its accomplishment. I want to say this to you. I believe that some of you may have a job within yourself that's maybe a second income or your education or your health or some adjustment. I want you to encourage to sit down with a cup of coffee or hot chocolate 
chocolate, whatever relaxes you. Get a pen and paper. Listen to the Lord. Lord, what do you want to accomplish in my future? And the more you see it, and the more clearly you see it, the more it becomes God's magnet that brings you to His accomplishments in your life. Here the prophet Haggai was prophesying to people that had lived long enough to see Solomon's temple when they were young. Now they're older and they've laid the second temple. And so the older people on the day of the dedication were weeping and sobbing. The young people were clapping and dancing and shouting. And the scripture says you couldn't hear yourself think because of it. But hear the word of the Lord to Haggai. One day this latter house will exceed the former house. For the gold is mine and the glory is mine, says the Lord. What does he mean by that? This second temple is going to exceed Solomon's temple because I have determined it to be so, says the Lord. The second temple was what we say in the Carolinas and in the South, rinky-dink. How many of you have ever heard the term rinky-dink? How many of you can be honest, young people, you've never heard the term rinky-dink? You're not going to find it in Google. Rinky-dink just means it's not hitting on much. It's, It's pales in comparison. But let me say this to you. The past and the present and the future belong to God. And what God sees in the future is like concrete to him. We see it as a blur, but not as God. It's like a magnet that brings itself to its fulfillment. Herod the Great, let me just give you a little thing that that is healthy and you won't forget it. Put your left hand right on your throat as if someone were choking you on the left side and say these words after me, 70 B.C. Then your right hand, 70 A.D. This is the Roman chokehold. It's actually more fun if your husband's there, ladies, and you just put your thing right there you know, get that chokehold on him. Because Herod was born near 70 B.C. By 70 A.D., the Romans had burned the temple. And so the Romans are right there. Guess who's born right in the middle of that chokehold? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But hear this. Herod was a descendant of the Edomites. When Rebekah, Isaac's wife, was pregnant, she had twins, and her, she had left her family. She'd gone a long way to marry Isaac. They didn't have ultrasound. She didn't have her mother and her sisters there. It's her first and only pregnancy. How many of you ladies have had a child, and you remember that first time that child started kicking inside of you? Imagine this is going on, and she, she doesn't know, and there are twins in her. She knew something was bizarre. And she goes to the Lord, and she prays this. It's funny in, King, the New, in the King James. Lord, why am I thus this way? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Why am I thus this way? In the key, Elizabethan English. And God speaks to her. God has an ultrasound that man does not have. And listen to what he said to that lady. Inside of you, he didn't say her two boys... He didn't say our twins. Listen to this, ladies. He said, inside of you are two nations. Now that's an ultrasound. And when God looks at you, He doesn't just see this little thing. 
He sees the fulfillment of the little thing. And so Herod was a descendant of Esau that was in Rebekah's womb, an Edomite. Jacob's name would be changed to Israel. The Israelites were there. And Herod, because he was an Edomite, and he had helped the Romans, the Romans gave him all the taxation from the King's Highway to the Via Maris, and he got the bulk of it, and he became billionaires overnight, and he decided to take this temple. What did we say about the temple? It it was what? Rinky-dink. Everybody say that a little bolder. It was rinky-dink. And he said, I'm going to make it the eighth wonder of the world. Herod built, in many respects, the eighth wonder of the world. And of the eight wonders of the world, it may have exceeded all of them in many respects. In Stonehenge, the largest stones are 17 tons. In the pyramid, the largest are 40 tons. In the temple, over 600 tons, and some of them are still there today underneath the foundation. Hear this. He tripled the size of that place. Listen to the prophecy of Haggai given hundreds of years earlier. This one will exceed Solomon's, for the gold is mine. But listen to the second part. And the glory is mine. Right in this chokehold, Jesus of Nazareth would come into that temple. John would say, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten Son of God. And so the gold is mine and the glory is mine. As the prophet Zechariah would say, it will not be by might. It will not be by power, but it will be by my spirit. And when God's Spirit stirs our spirit, the limits go out the window. Three times in this little book, He will say, Be strong, for I am with you. Be strong, for I am with you. Be strong, for I am with you. It's not strength as something. It is strength from someone because that someone is with us. I'll never forget one of the most miraculous things ever occurred to me. I'm just ashamed that this doesn't happen often, but I I can't think of a single illustration in my life to compare with what I'm about to tell you. But I was invited, and I have a number of times, down in Miami area, Dennis Penton, he's been there almost 24 years now, 25, something like that. It's a Spanish church in the morning service. They probably have about this many people in the first service. And, then, and it's all in Spanish. The second service, maybe this many in the second service, and it's in English. And so I was there ministering, I think it was 2010, and they were serving communion. I'm just sitting there in the first service. It's all in Spanish. I'm, I'm just praying. I know I'm going to minister and, and have to speak through an interrupter. And so... <laughs> Not an interpreter, they're interrupting me, of course. And so in there, I had a vision, and I'm not given to visions, but in this vision, I saw a computer screen in front of me, and the computer screen was off. It was jet black. And a name, it was a Scottish name that ran across the bottom in that orange color exit sign color. And I said, well, what is this? I mean, this is not pizza or something else. I could tell it was supernatural. And I heard the Lord speak to me about it, that, uh, that there was a family there that 
were connected with this. Well, I knew the Spanish people don't have Scottish names. They named their people Julio and Carlos and Pedro and Cortez and things like that. Would you agree? And so uh, he said, this family's very shy, and they've lost a son, and they, they're worried. Did he, he knew me, but is he with me? And, and the, the family's been praying about this, and they're very shy people. But they are friends with someone in the first service. And you're to tell them to go to contact that family and tell them their son is with me. Now, how many of you know that's very specific? If you were giving a mailing address, that's about a half a dozen or a dozen little particles to the address. And so I, I'm, to be honest, was terrified. And I, I didn't share it. And finally I preached, but then the Spirit of God fell on that church at the end. And I had the boldness to share basically what I said. And there was a lady on the second row there, beautiful little Spanish lady, and she began to just weep. She said, that's my friends, that's my friends, that's my friends. I spoke to her yesterday, I spoke to her yesterday. I'm telling you, I felt like the weight had come off of me, you know. And so, after, so we prayed for the family, and then afterwards I thanked her for that, and I said, well, thank you, I did not know this family. She said, oh, Dr. Galden, you know them. And she told me who it was. It was a very famous individual had been murdered. I, I, I try not to mention the name publicly. If I knew it, if I said it, you would know them. And so one day I was ministering where this man had been murdered. And I, I said, can you take me there? I didn't go into the actual room where he was murdered, but I was just outside. And I thought to myself, I'm in one state. His mother lives in another state. I live in central Florida. I was in Miami area, the tip of Florida. I'm not sure where his first cousin was and how it was friends, but his first cousin called me after the lady told her and thanked me because his mother, who had been praying that, was comforted beyond comfort that her son was with the Lord because she knew that she knew there was no way anyone would have ever known that. How many of you know that the God you serve sees things differently about your life than I could ever see or you could ever see? He is a God that is not bound by time, space, nor matter. He is greater than any of us can imagine. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, His name is to be praised. We serve a great and mighty God. And that God is with us today. And He wants to stir our spirit. Last year, a gentleman received the Congressional Medal of Honor from World War II. He had died a decade earlier. And his wife received the Medal of Honor on behalf of her husband. His name was Lieutenant Connor. And it's a remarkable story. It occurred January 24th, 1945. The war was almost over with with Germany. He was a lieutenant. He was in charge of a company of men. He had been wounded many times. I think 11 different occasions he had been wounded. He served on the front lines. I want you to hear this, folks. For two and a half years uninterrupted in combat duty. That's un incredible. He had won so many awards. It's, it's phenomenal. 
But on this particular occasion, he was in the hospital, and the Battle of the Bulge occurred, and his men, where he was, the Germans had a resurgent of over 600 German soldiers, six tanks, and they were headed right in the direction of his small company of men. He knew that every man under his command would lose their life. He literally escaped from the hospital. They would not have released him. He went to the battle line wounded. And in those days, they did not have wireless communication. He had a radio. He had a cable. And he ran toward the enemy's line out in open combat. And there was a ditch there. And he laid down in the ditch. And he he was able to communicate backwards to his men. He says, when I tell you, you send the mortar shells right where I'm at. They said, sir, we can't do that. You'll die. We'll hit you. We'll kill you. He said, this is not a suggestion or multiple choice. This is an order. You must do what I said. And the enemy, he waited till they got within five yards of him. And hear this, folks. He sent the command. Somehow, he did not get hit. And it wiped out a large company of those enemy soldiers and saved the life of his men. No wonder he received the Congressional Medal of Honor for what he did. And I want you to know this, that when he went back home to Kentucky, I believe it was, his uh, soon-to-be wife, he had not met her yet, wanted to meet him because he was in a parade. And she had read so much about him in the paper she assumed he was six foot four, 250 pounds. And instead, he was five foot six, about 135 pounds. And she met him. They fell in love, married, lived a long life together. And she would say often, My husband is the biggest man I know. Why? Because his spirit was big. None of us can change our height. We came into this world, even Jesus said, you can't add to your height. That's who we are. But all of us, our spirit can get as big as we're willing to let God make it. Can you say amen? And God can do extraordinary things in our life. 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus, and for my life, and he took the heat for us, And he took the artillery for us. Why? Because his spirit was stirred by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit to give himself a propitiation for our sins. If he could do that for us, then how much more should we, in the time we live, rise up and be all that we can be for the glory of God? Can you say amen to that? Now I want to pray a blessing over this church. And sometimes when you preach, you just preach. But sometimes the gift of prophecy comes on when you preach. And I believe that spirit is here today. And I have a word from the Lord for you. And I would like you just to stand right there if you'd be willing to receive this. And you can judge whether this is from the Lord. It's from the scriptures. It's from the book of Haggai. You can look it up this afternoon. Haggai chapter 2, I believe it's verse 19. I'm going to paraphrase it, but here's the paraphrase. He asked a question. He said, is the seed still in the barn? And the answer was yes. 
They had not put the seed yet into the field. He said, is there any fruit yet on the vine? And the answer to that one would have been no. There was no fruit on the vine at that time. Is there any fruit on the pomegranate tree? And the answer again, no. Is there any fruit on the olive trees yet? No. In other words, it wasn't time to sow and it wasn't time for harvest. But he listened to the word. He says, yet from this day, Everybody say, this day. In other words, he's saying, in other words, regardless of your environment and circumstance, he says, from this day, I will bless you. Now, if you can receive what I'm about to say, if you can determine from this day that by God's grace, in the years that you are privileged to live on this planet, You will do your best to look up every day to the greatest one who's ever lived. To occasionally look within and say, God, do you need to adjust me? And to look ahead for what he has in store for you and stir your spirit. From this day, if you're willing to do that, hear the word of the Lord to you. He will bless you from this day. You remember this day in May of the year of our Lord, 2019. Because if you make that commitment and that ongoing commitment, you're going to see that from this day to the end of your days, every day and every way, it is going to be different in a unique fashion. Can you say amen? I'd like you to reach out and take the hands of the person next to you. If you might, I might have to have your end aisles to kind of pull over a little bit and see if we can do it as a people. Reach out. It may not be your tradition, but if you can just humor me a little bit, I think you'll see that it'll, it'll be a blessing if you're able to do that. Now, Father, I come to you, and I remember the psalmist who said in Hebrew, for your mercy endures forever. Now you, we look to, For your mercy is as high as the heavens to those who fear you. Your mercy is new every morning. And Lord, we ask that mercy be imparted to all of us. We look within ourselves knowing of our frailties and humanity that needs constant attitude adjustments. Lord, help us to be a positive thinking, positive speaking, positive living individual with positive fruit on our life. And where we need to adjust, help us to adjust in our marriage, in our raising of our children, our workplace, our church life, our community. And Father, we look ahead. May you give us a vision. As you gave me a vision in Miami, Lord, give us a vision for our life of what you can do. You who have no limits of time, matter, and space. And now to the congregation of church, In Indian Lake, I say to you by the authority invested in me and to the pastor of this church and his wife and his family and the leadership, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. May He lift up His countenance upon you. And may He give you peace. Amen. Can you give God praise today? Let's give Him praise and worship Him.
Halleluja.